Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Yes! Man, just again, one more time for our worship team. Can you? They're... Honestly, they're amazing. I don't think sometimes we realize how good uh, that we have it here, and it's just a real blessing to be able to, oh, to do that leading up uh, to this, and now you have to listen to me. That's not a good thing. They should have just kept going. Hey, I want to give a shout out to all of our college kids Um, They are going off to school. If they're not there already, they're going soon. I actually ran into a couple of them today, and I said, I'm going to give you a shout-out because this is a big deal. I mean, some of you are going off to school for the first time, right? Some of you are going back to school. I know some people here who are going back to college to get their grad degree right now, so that's a whole nother level. Um, maybe you're watching us from your dorm room. If you are, type that in the chat. I'm here at college. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm glad that you are attending Hope Church today. That is awesome. I want you to. I want to say this. If you are in college, please know that you always have a place here. Please know that you always have a place here. We love you. We are here for you. Uh, you are on my heart. I've been thinking about you all week. Um, so good luck to you. If I could go back to college, I would. That's probably one of my problems. If I could go back, I would. It's, one of the, it's some of the best years of my life. So enjoy every second of it. Now, if you are a college kid or a parent of a college kid, for the next couple of minutes, I just want you to take your fingers, put them in your ears like this. I'm just kidding. Um... So college is expensive, man. It really is. It's unbelievable. My daughter is a junior in high school this year coming up. And so we've just kind of started those conversations and started looking, you know, at different schools and how we're going to do that. And uh, I actually had the bright idea last week. We were sitting... um, you know, next to the lake on vacation, had a cup of coffee, and I'm like, Sarah, let's look at some colleges and let's just kind of look up what they cost. I should not have done that on vacation. <laughs> I don't think I stopped thinking about it the rest of the day. I'm like, how are we going to do this? I have no idea. Um, so, you know, uh, start now is what I would say, parents. If you have college far away, start now. Um, Basically, when I think about going to college, I think every parent and every student needs to do what I would call a cost-benefit analysis. You familiar with what that is, a cost-benefit analysis? Right? I know a lot of you do. Yeah. So basically, you are going to look at what it costs, whatever the thing is, and you have to then decide if the benefits are worth it to you. In college, people, you should do that. Or might I say, maybe if you're not a college person, you should really do that. So that's just kind of the reality of me that I'm confronted with. But you know what? Listen, we, we do this all the time. I was actually, um, so I'll tell you another quick story. A couple years ago, our, our house, um, there was a leak in the back doors. And so water was coming in, and it ended up pulling up the tiles in our kitchen. And so, 
you know, the insurance adjuster came out. He, you know, said, yep, yep, we got this covered. And so, you know, we had to go and get someone to, um, you know, to get the floors done and then stain them and all that kind of stuff. So we did that at the time. Uh, and it looks beautiful. We're very happy with it. Um, so last year, we're like, you know, there's just like the one room that we really haven't done in our house yet. It's our bedroom. Let's call the same guys up um, and, you know, we'll buy the wood and we'll have them come. We'll stay in it and it'll kind of all be the same. It'll be really nice. So I, uh, we called them up. They come out. They gave us a quote. And some of you will feel our pain on this. The quote was double the cost of what it did to do our whole downstairs just a few years earlier. You feel me on that? Like lumber and all the things that are going up. I mean, it's crazy ridiculous. And so we had to sit down. We had to look at the cost and we had to look at the benefit. And we decided, you know what? Right now, we don't need to do that. We're just going to wait. Pretty much every decision we make, whether consciously or subconsciously, we are making a cost-benefit analysis. You realize that? Everything that we do, literally everything that we do, we don't even realize it, but we're thinking through a term of, you know, what is best for me here? You know, is this going to be good for me or might this not turn out so, you know, good for me? And so we do that, again, whether subconsciously or consciously. What's it going to cost me and is it worth it? And I think Jesus is asking all of us the same question. When it comes to following him, we have a cost-benefit analysis to do. And as we finish up our series today called The Basic, that's what we're going to look at. And that's what we're going to talk about. We've been taking the entire summer in this series to drill down on some of the most basic things about the church, about God, about our spiritual lives. We've been doing this all summer long, what we believe and why. So I'm going to go back to the definition I gave the very first week, basic. This is kind of the thing that we're working off of. To form an essential foundation or starting point, the essential facts. We're going right back to the beginning, right? And our goal was to take the most basic, fundamental Christian ideas and understand them deeply. And that's how I said it. Basic ideas, deeply understood. Basic ideas, deeply understood. And for the last over two months, we've been doing that. We've put everything on the table. This is where we are. This is what we believe the Bible teaches, right? These basic teachings can literally change your life. You start walking down these paths, your life will begin to change, your perspective begins to change. Really, it's eye-opening. It brings clarity and understanding to our world. So let's review really quick. First week, we talked about what it means to be a Christian. We just started defining that term, right? We talked about what that means. We talked about what it means to grow your faith then. What does it mean to kind of grow in Christ as we follow him? We talked about what it means to be baptized and take communion. We looked at that kind of over the, why does the church celebrate that? Why do we observe that? We talked about that. We talked about what it means to pray. What's that all about? How do I do that? We talked about what it means to share your faith with other people. We talked about what it means to be a part of a church and why you need it in your life. Right? We talked about that. 
We talked about why it's so important to give and to serve. And in another challenging week, last week, we talked about sin, the basic concept, what is it, and where might we be wrong, and where have we kind of gone off, and why it's so important to figure out why we know what that is. And all along, this whole entire series, Carrie and I wanted to bring you and lead you to next steps. So none of this will surprise you, because if you've been here, you've been listening, you've heard this all along. The first thing is, we've called you to consider becoming a Christian, to give your life to Jesus. We've done that several times throughout this series. We've encouraged you to start growing in your faith. What does it mean to like, start reading the Bible or to start praying? Or maybe your next step is to be baptized, which, by the way, again, we're doing next week, and that's a great next step for you, right? Or what it means for you to take communion now. We've given you a chance to connect with people all series long. In fact, what we did is we had a discussion group going on every single week of the series across the hall in the gym, and you were able to just talk kind of in a circle. This is, two, this is one way, right? But we were able to get in a circle and talk through what that might mean for you. But even more importantly than that, We've encouraged you to consider getting into a life group, right? And those are going to open up next month. But getting around people who are going to care for you and to be able to talk through spiritual things together, that's a huge deal. And so as we wrap up the series today, thinking, you know, what do I do here? And it comes to the next logical question for me, and it's this question right here. So now what? So now what? We've learned all these things about Christianity, about the church, about our faith, and now it's time to do the cost-benefit analysis. And I think if we didn't go here to end it, I would be doing you a disservice because I want to look at the words of Jesus. Now listen, all series long, we've been looking at the book of Acts. Right? There's been a lot of times where we looked at, why, why are we looking at the book of Acts? I heard it. Yeah, because that's where the first, we get this glimpse of what the first church was. These disciples of Jesus, these followers of the way, they started this thing, they started meeting together, they started serving their community. It literally changed their life and their community around it. We looked a lot at that. Does anybody know, I'm putting you, it's a quiz time today. Does anybody know who wrote the book of Acts? Nope. Ooh, but good guess. Luke, a man named Luke. So we had this, you know, um, this story that Luke is telling of the disciples starting to do what Jesus called them to do. But I want to step back today. I actually, I don't know if you know this, but Luke actually wrote two books of the Bible. He wrote the book of Acts and he wrote the book of Luke. And really, Acts, you could really look at it like this. Um, it's the same author, same writer. You could look at the Luke is the kind of like the story of Jesus and how the disciples all came to be. Acts is just a continuation of that book. So we're actually going to go now. We're going to step all the way back to listen to the very words of Jesus as we ask ourselves this question. Jesus knew he had to be really clear. He asked them to do a cost-benefit analysis You see, he promised the world a different way. He promised hurting and broken people healing and new life. He promised to establish a new kingdom. And a lot of people that was confusing to 
He promised eternal life to those who followed him and lived a life of trust in him. See, the benefits are outrageous. They're eternal as well. It's amazing. But over and over again, Jesus reminded people to look at the reality of the situation, that they would need to be prepared for the cost. Basically, he was saying, were you ready to be my disciple? Are you really ready to be a disciple? And I'm going to ask us the same question. Are you ready to be a disciple of Jesus? So let's look at this passage of Scripture I want to start with. We're going to use a couple today. Luke chapter 14, you're going to be able to follow along on the, on the screen here or even online. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, it says, A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Check this out. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building? Now, he's going to go into a couple examples of this, right? Who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. And they would say, that's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Um, how do you feel about that? A couple things I just want to point out here. First of all, um, a large crowd was following Jesus. Jesus, this amazing person, this amazing teacher, people loved this guy. If you start reading the book of Luke, you will see crowds continue to follow Jesus everywhere he went. They were intrigued. They loved what he said. But then he would get to stuff like this, and they'd be like, oh, man, I don't, I, I'm not sure. Jesus. Jesus was a master of creating tension. He certainly did it to that crowd, and I think it's some of the same tension we might be feeling even right now. Because there's some heavy stuff there. So let's quickly, really quickly, understand what's happening here. So in the book of Luke, basically in chapter 9, where we're going to turn to in a second, all the way through Luke chapter 19, Jesus is on a journey. He's on a journey to Jerusalem. Because Jesus knows it's now time. He, you know, he, 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 he grew up. He started you know, teaching this way. He started doing all these things. He started calling disciples, all of this. And now he knew the final phase of his life was coming. And he started this journey to Jerusalem where he was eventually going to die. And by the way, if I could just pause as a side note here, those crowds that we just saw, 
In a little while, they're going to celebrate him wildly as he comes in on a donkey and Passover and all that kind of stuff. They really love this guy, but that same crowd, a lot of them, not too long afterwards, are going to say crucify him. Jesus was just one of those people that sometimes they didn't even know exactly where, you know, they stood. But Jesus tried his best for people not to miss the main point, not to become disillusioned. You see, people thought this Savior would be like this political great Savior for them. Where that was not Jesus' intention at all. It's not who he ever promised to be. But they were looking for that. You see, many in the crowd liked Jesus. They appreciate his words. They appreciate those words about love, loving others and do unto others as you would have them do to you. All, the, all those kinds of things. He was an incredible teacher. But many in the crowd, listen, get this, many in the crowd never move to the core because they're afraid of the cost. Many people in the crowd never really move to like this core following because the cost is too great. So, Jesus has been saying this his whole time on earth. I'm going to bring us to another passage now. We're just going to go a little before this, Luke chapter 9, as he's starting out this journey. We're going to observe this encounter he had on his way to Jerusalem. All right? So we're going to get into this just a little bit more deeply. And I think this passage is going to give us some insight. It's going to give us some insight into, I think, probably three things that following Jesus may cost you. Three things that following Jesus may cost us. And they should give us pause as we consider our own lives and our own discipleship of Jesus. So let's look at the first case study. Case study number one. Luke 9, verse 57. As they were walking along... Someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. By the way, so this is the first thing I notice. Someone is raising their hand. Jesus, I'm there. I'm with you. I'm following you. I'm with you. Pretty admirable. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But the son of man has no place even to lay his head. And again, this is typical Jesus starting to use these word pictures. And some people are like, I'm not really sure I'm following exactly what you're saying. I'm going to try my best to, to let you know what I think Jesus is saying here. What does this mean for us? What does this case study show us? And if you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Following Jesus may cost us our personal possessions. Or you might want to use the word comfort. Following Jesus may cost us our personal comforts. And for some of you, as you count the cost, this might be the number one thing that you're going to wrestle with as you say, I want to follow Jesus. Right here, Jesus, me. I think what he was saying was, at least these animals, you know, the foxes and the birds, they have a safe place to go at, at, at night. They have home. But me, Jesus, the Son of Man, I don't even have that. Following Jesus, he never said it was going to be a comfortable thing. He's warning this person 
That following him means that if you decide to do this, your comfort is not a guarantee. It's a warning that the things that make us feel secure may need to be sacrificed. Maybe. And so my question is, what is it that makes you comfortable today? No judgment, just think you're thinking in your own head. What are the things that maybe you're relying on? What maybe have you, do you possess that you're putting your safety and security and comfort in? Is it your money? Is it your home? Is it maybe some of the good things you enjoy, the, the, the toys that you have? Maybe, I, I don't know. You see, we've talked about this before. We, as people, are so, we're so wired to acquire things. We really are. See, we're always unsatisfied. We always want more. And over and over again, Jesus, as much as we might not like, he kind of goes right, he hits the nail right on the head. In fact, there's this other passage he says, you know what? All that stuff, that, that money, because money's not bad. Money's not bad. And again, I don't have time to go into all that. There's, he's not saying money or possessions or things are bad. But he's talking about an issue of loyalty here, right? There's this other passage he says, uh, it's easier for this big old camel, you know, with the humps on his back and everything, to go through that little bitty eye of a needle than for rich people to gain entrance to the kingdom of heaven, to understand kingdom stuff. And by, basically what he was saying is really hard when we have all these things to not make them priorities and idols in our life, these possessions, these comforts. This is something we fall back on. And Jesus warns us, hey, be careful. He, you know, he knew the heart of the person asking this question, and he went, he went there. But maybe it's not material things for you at all. What else could make us, you know, comfort and, and all? It could be a title. It could be our platform. It could be any, some kind of influence that we have that gives us a sense of identity. I don't know. But I think we could take from what Jesus, from this first case study, that when we follow Jesus, we might not have that comfortable place in the world anymore. We might even feel out of place in this world and misunderstood. We've talked about this as well. We do not live in a culture that's very receptive to the way of Jesus. You know, 50 years ago, maybe our culture was a little more positive, but today, I believe we live in a very negative culture, and it will cost you. So here's the question you need to ask yourself today. Is the value I place on comfort sabotaging my personal relationship with Jesus? For those of you who feel like maybe that's a thing that could be something for you, it, it, are you, what are those things that might sabotage your relationship with Jesus? Let's move to the second case study. We're going to continue on in that passage. He said to another person, Come follow me. Now, th now, this one's interesting, too, because this guy didn't raise his hand, right? Jesus actually called. He went and he said, hey, come on, follow me. And what's cool is that it says the man agreed, right? And he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach 
about the kingdom of God. And again, this is really hard to understand. And I, I mean, it sounds really like Jesus is being really insensitive here and not understanding, maybe even heartless. I have to go back and bury my dad. I need to take care of this thing. Isn't that reasonable, Jesus? I mean, don't you understand? Is this not a reasonable request? And it sounds like that first passage we read where it says, you have to, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mother and your father and your wife and your children and your brothers and sisters. So what is, is Jesus really saying you got to hate other people? Is Jesus really saying, you know, family doesn't matter? All, uh, kind of, well, no. I think if you look just for a second at what Jesus taught and what's taught throughout Scripture, he knows, we would know that that's not what he's saying. There's actually some speculation here among theologians, just so you know, and I don't know what the right answer is here. We don't fully know what this situation is. Here's the other thing that I do know. I've told you this. Whenever we read the Bible, we have to understand culturally what's happening in that context. So be very careful about jumping to too many conclusions, conclusions here. You know, some would say, you know, was this person's father literally dead and he needed to go and bury him? Others would say, no, that this was a thing that they were expecting the father to die, and it was the familial responsibility that this person had to go back to. I don't know, but I still think that we could say that for another time. I think we're missing the point. Here's the point that I think Jesus is saying. He knew that the person's heart issue was going to be something, some kind of responsibility that he had and probably would always end up having that would get in the way of his loyalty and allegiance to God and his kingdom. And so here's what I would say if we want to do that alliteration thing. Uh, following Jesus may cost us our perceived priorities. The things that you think are important, the things that I think are important, some of these things are going to end up keeping you from following him with your full heart. You're going to get distracted. And by the way, here's the thing. By good things. Good things. They're not bad. None of this stuff is bad. The problem is, is we've made them idols. And God says, you need to be really careful. You might be letting the different responsibilities of life control your heart. You might be letting the good sabotage the best in your world. And Jesus always sees underneath the surface. Now, what's interesting is we never see the end of these case studies. We don't know how the people responded. He may have relented or she may have relented. We don't know. But here's the question, I think, from this case study that you might need to ask yourself, because this is something that maybe you are going to struggle with most as you consider this. Are you allowing other good things to take priority in your life over your relationship with Jesus? Third, last case study I'm going to look at in this passage starts in verse 61. Another person said, yes, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. And for some of you in here, this is going to be your number one hang up with fully following Jesus. Because you may have a devotion to pleasing people. Once again, 
What Jesus is talking about is purely an issue of loyalty. Where do our loyalties lie? Please hear me. Jesus is not calling us to ignore our family and friends, to not love, to be unloving, to be insensitive in any way to the most important people in our lives. But he is saying, I think, to this person, again, because he can see the heart. He was speaking right to this person's heart. He is saying that for, some, for that person and for some of us as well, we may be elevating family and important people in our lives above really doing what God wants us to do and about his kingdom. In other words, family, for some of us, has become an idol. It's gotten in the way. It has taken our allegiance, whether that's to your children, whether that's to your, your spouse, whatever that might be. We need to be careful. Uh, once again, again, typical Jesus form. We might not understand it fully. He uses this farming illustration, right? He goes, well, you know, what happens if it, I have, I'm at the plow and I'm looking back? And I think this is just really an issue of distraction, he, you know, at that time, you know, they did not have automated machinery. They did not have the John Deere tractor. They lived in a farming society. What they harvested and planted was their very livelihood. It was critically important if they wanted to eat. And Jesus said, be very careful. You know, you look back and you go off, you can mess up that whole entire harvest. You need to keep your hand to the plow. You need to be focused. You need to not be distracted by the good things in our life. Be concentrated on the primary thing. And so the question for you and the takeaway for us is, am I allowing friends and family to hold me back in my personal relationship with Jesus? What is it for you? What might be that cost for you? Is it personal possessions? Or personal comforts? Or is it pleasing people that you can see that might be an issue for you? Or is it priorities in your life? I don't know. But here's the thing. Jesus, over and over and over again in Scripture, there are some hard things that he calls us to because he knows our hearts and he knows our human nature. And he knows most what we need. And so he admonishes all of us, count the cost. Make sure you do that cost-benefit analysis. He's laying out, he's doing us a favor. He's laying out the expectations right out front. There's a lot of great things about Jesus. Even today, the crowd would say, hey, he was a great teacher. He said, but really, if we're going to get to the core, we have to count the cost. Now I'm going to end here in a second. I just want to back up in that same passage, Luke chapter 9. Then he said to the crowd, another crowd, here we go again. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. You guys have heard this verse before. Take up your cross daily and follow me. He's encouraging people to give up. That, that word is really um, it's better translated to disown yourself. To give up ownership. To give up ownership, to go another way, to take up the cross, to be willing to endure some of the hardship and the pain and maybe the shame, 
the embarrassment, and in some cases, the persecution of following Jesus. Everything comes with a cost. But let me remind you and encourage you that the way of Jesus is life-giving and eternal. The benefits are amazing. He goes on in that passage, Luke 9, 24 and 25, if you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. What do you do? What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but yourself are lost or destroyed? And another writer said something similar. He says, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? I know it's a hard message, man. I've had two in a row here. Hard stuff. But let's just do the honest, hard work for ourselves. As we seek to follow God with our whole hearts, let's just be aware that there are going to be some things that are going to compete for our loyalty and our attention and distract us from the big thing, the kingdom of God things. Several years ago, as I wrap here, I got a tattoo right here. I love this tattoo. And it's a statement. It was written by, uh, it was, uh, yeah, written by a, a guy um, named Jim Elliott. Uh, he was a missionary. And he, um, and he said, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I want you to think about that for a second. He's no fool to give up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot if any of you know the end of that story, by the way, this is in the 1950s. He was a missionary in Ecuador. He lost his life. He was martyred for his faith. And as a kid, I remember that story being so powerful for me. Yeah, we give up stuff. Yeah, it's getting harder and harder. But I promise you, and we've talked about it this whole summer, Jesus wants the best for you. He wants, he sees you as his child. He loves you. And there's nothing more important than you saying, I'm with you, Jesus. But count the cost. Count the cost. So, now what? It's up to you. Let's pray. Lord, hard words, hard words. And I am not here. I am not trying to depress anybody. But Lord, I do want to confront just the reality of this life. God, you can see the other side and you know our hearts. And I pray that we would live with that in mind, with kingdom purpose in mind. You are good. Your love endures forever. God, we want to be light and salt for you. But God, help us, show us what that looks like. Help us to stay faithful. I pray for every person in this, in this room, for every person online listening to me right now. God, as a church, Hope Church, that now is the time, now is the time to say, God, I'm in. I'm all in. 
Help us to take that seriously. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.